Thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. Acts chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, there should be a black hardback ESV somewhere near you. And uh, if you need a Bible, that's our gift to you. There's also Bibles still out in the lobby. If you haven't grabbed one of those, those are the chronological one-year Bibles. That's how we're reading through the Bible this year. And so uh, there's one of those out there for you as well. Last week we started Acts and we're kind of looking at the, or we are looking at how the church began and what was important in those days. And so in Acts chapter 1, we're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 12. And we look at the church and its devotion, its discernment, and its decisions that it had to make. So as you're turning there, let me tell you a little story. Uh, several, several years back when my son was in elementary school, me and a bunch of dads decided that we wanted to be uh, dads that did things with our sons. And so what we decided to do was a camping trip just a father-son camping trip. And we were like, you know what? Not just any camping trip. Let's do the kind of camping trip where you pack everything into a backpack and you hike way into the mountains and you know all your, all your uh, water, all your food, all your, all your tent, all, everything you need, you got to take it in with you. And so we're like, this will be great. What could go wrong, right? What could go wrong? And that's a bunch of city folk dads. We decided to pack up some backpacks with our small adolescent children who can't carry any weight right? And so we're hiking through and we decided that uh, this one trail was going to be great. It's a three and a half mile trail up into the top of the mountains. And that, that would be perfect. Well, as we got there, the gate to the road that led to the trail was closed. So we were like, well, let's just start right here. I mean, how much further can it really be? So, you know, some six, seven miles later, it's dark outside. We have got our headlamps on. We're still going. And we finally make it to where we're going to camp out that night. And, and all the dads are, are trying to have a good witness for our sons, right? We're trying not to be totally frustrated. And so we set up camp. And the next day, it's going to be a great day. We're going to go down the ridge line, And we're going to see all the, all the mountains in North Carolina. It's going to be a beautiful view. So sure enough, we had our mac and cheese and we went to bed. The next morning we woke up, we packed everything up and we said, let's start hiking. And so we get to this part in the trail that's kind of a fork. And we were like, okay, uh, we take this one or this one? Well, let's, let's, so we'd all decided we're going to take this trail. And so we take this trail. An hour later, we ended up right back where we started. Never saw any, any lookouts, nothing like that. And so at that point, we had to make a decision. Do we try the other trail or do we just call it what it is? We called it what it is. And so that was a great hiking trip. That was the last hiking trip, the last time I went camping with my son. And so, uh, you know, there's times where we in life, we reach moments where there's a fork in the road or there's a split in the path. And we have to decide what are we going to do? Which way are we going to go? So my question would be, how do you decide and how do you discern what is the will of God for your life when you reach a fork in the road? At what point do you say, all right, this is the way that God's calling me to go? And there's a lot of things that people will do and a lot of conversations that people will have in order to, in, in order to come to this conclusion that this must be the path that I'm going to take. So what I want to do this morning in Acts chapter 1 is show you where, where we talked about last week, that we are at Acts 1-8 church. And that the decisions that we make as an Acts 1-8 church, they, they determine the path that we go down for the rest of the year. So Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
Last week I told you this, the power of the Spirit is given to the church for the purpose of continuing Jesus' ministry and his mission. A church that continues the ministry of Jesus is focused on the person of Jesus and the present responsibilities that they are called to carry out on his behalf. If we are to say that we are called by Jesus to be his witnesses, then the decisions that we make need to align with the mission that he's called us to accomplish, the responsibilities that are there. So every decision that we make, church, as his witnesses matter. It matters for us both personally and corporately because the decisions we make have an eternal impact, both for ourselves and for others. So as a church, our decisions personally and corporately impact our witness. Now, last week I shared with you a mission statement for 2021. I'm going to read it again, and I'm going to do you a favor, and I'm going to read it real slow. Because I was told that I said it real fast last week. So here we go. In 2021, Medivue Baptist Church, you can write NBC if you're taking notes. That's a lot quicker. Seeks to be a missional gathering of believers. of believing members that respond obediently to Jesus' commission. Act on behalf of Jesus to further his ministry by both word and deed. Prioritize the proclamation, those are some big words, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And are dependent upon the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit for accomplishing this purpose. Still too fast? In 2021. <laughs> uh, no, sorry, I didn't have it on the board this week. I'll post it later, I promise. So my question for us this morning, are the decisions that we make both personally and corporately Revealing that we want to be a missional gathering of believing members that respond obediently to the Great Commission. Do the decisions that we make, both personally and corporately, do they show that we want to be a a body of members that respond obediently? And I said this two weeks ago, we can't expect the church corporately to act any differently than we do individually. As I've seen in the culture that we live in, there's a, there's a great disconnect. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. There's a great disconnect when the people of God want to be associated with the person of God without responding obediently to the word of God. There's a great disconnect when the people of God want to be associated with the person of God but don't want to follow the word of God or respond obediently to the word of God. And they're no longer concerned about seeking the will of God for their daily decisions. There's a lot of people who want to be associated with the person of Jesus Christ, but do not want the person of Jesus Christ and his word to speak into the daily decisions of their life. Would you agree with that? That's a great disconnect from where we are today and where the early church was. So as we get into Acts chapter 1, verse 12, we've got a really interesting section of scripture where they replace Judas. Now, I know you're really excited to read that part, but it's about making decisions for the kingdom of God. So let's pray. Let's ask God for his wisdom. Father, we do come to you. We thank you so much for your word. It is a light to our path. And when we are at a crossroads, God, we lean in. 
We pray for discernment. We pray for your wisdom. We pray, Father, that you would reveal yourself to us, that we would see the weight of every decision that we make, that it is a decision that impacts the kingdom because we are called to be your witnesses. Father, I pray for this church, that we would be a church that responds obediently to the Great Commission. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Number one, the church is gathered in devotion to the will of God. The church is gathered in devotion to the will of God. So it's the will of God for us to gather together as the people of God, the body of Christ and his church. It is the will of God that we gather together. And I know that that's difficult to say in these times because there's a lot of us who feel like that we can't gather together, but that is the will of God and we see that in scripture. So Acts chapter one, starting in verse 12, you'll follow along with me. Then they returned to Jerusalem and from the mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they, were, where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And when they returned... Now, what, what that means is Jesus has just ascended. They're standing there. They're looking in the clouds. Two angels, as we can read from Scripture, two men dressed in white are standing there, and they say, hey, why are you looking up in the sky? He's going to come back someday the same way he came, but you've got business to do. And so now they've got this journey, this hike that they're going to take back, where they're going to take the trail about a Sabbath day, which means about a mile maybe, because you could only walk a certain distance on a Sabbath day. And so that's how they're saying it was about a Sabbath day journey. It was about a mile away. They walked back. They go to this upper room. They're gathering together. And can you imagine the walk back? Do you think it was a quiet walk? Do you think it was an exciting walk? Do you think they were talking? Do you think that they were concerned? Do you think that they were kind of lost? I mean, you think about it, the one that they'd been following footstep after footstep for the last three years has just gone off into heaven. And now they're walking back. What do we do? What's the first decision that we need to make? There's, there's uncertainty going on. They're walking back to make decisions for moving forward as the body of Christ. So where do you turn during times of uncertainty, church? In uncertain times, how do you make decisions according to the will of God? Who can you trust? Can you trust the media to help you make those decisions? Can you trust the government to help you make those decisions? Who do you turn to? Can you trust your emotions and your feelings to help you make those decisions? Wow. Where can you turn when life crumbles? Well, I'll tell you where they turned. They turned to a gathering body of believers that were in one accord that prayed together. That sounds like a Sunday school answer to me. Doesn't it sound like one to you? But it's the basis of of the church. The basis of the church was these, these early followers of Christ feeling lost and feeling uncertain. All they had to turn to was let's gather together and let's pray. Because I don't know what else to do. You ever been to that point where you're trying to make decisions and they keep falling and failing and, and things keep going wrong and finally you get to the point and you just say, I guess I should have prayed. Isn't it sometimes the last resort when it should be the first thing that we do? 
And not only by ourselves, but with those that we gather around with, we pray together. This passage reassures us that in difficult times and difficult decisions, prayer and the word of God is where you're supposed to turn. That's what this whole section right here is about. The church started by gathering together in prayer and in God's word. But first, we need to kind of grasp the significance of why they're going to have this conversation about the 12 apostles. So it says, when they had entered, they went up into the upper room. This is verse 13. Where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. There's somebody missing because Judas has defected, right? He's not there. And so they're all together and they're trying to decide what do we need to do first? Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you've been reading the daily Bible readings, okay? And so as you've been reading these daily Bible readings in, back in Genesis, there's been a lot of names. There's been a lot of people, you, oh, that so-and-so had this kid, and so-and-so had this kid, and so-and-so had this kid. And some days, if you're a parent and you decided, hey, we're going we're gonna to read this together, and we're going to read it out loud with our kids, whoo, I bet that got awkward real quick, right? Because there are some sections of that you're like, I don't remember reading that, and uh, let's just kind of skip over that. So if you've been reading, then you would have been introduced to the biblical narrative of God's redemptive plan through his son, Jesus Christ. You have already begun to see that God is a covenant-making God, and God is going to do what he needs to do to redeem a people. And so what he's done is he started a nation that's going to be a covenant people. And you've got the patriarchs, and you've got the sons that are going to become the tribes of Israel, right? And so all of this is being laid out, and what is happening is it's being laid out because one day Jesus is going to show up, and he's going to create a new kingdom, and he's going to set up 12 disciples, He's going to set up the 12 disciples because he's got a plan to create a new covenant people, not just a covenant people. So the primary reason for the Bible is not for us to become better people. And if we enter into scripture thinking, I just didn't, I just didn't get anything out of it today. When I read all those names, it just didn't really speak to me. I didn't have a verse that I could highlight and that I could post on social media and be like, this genealogy, man, it really, it got me today. No, when we read it, we read it as the biblical narrative of what God's going to do to redeem a people. And there's a foundation that's being laid out right now because Jesus, we know, is coming. It's such a beautiful, beautiful picture in God's word. So what we do is we have to ask ourselves, do the decisions that I make aid or hinder in the redemptive will of God for my life and for the life of others around me? When I make a decision as a witness of God, I have to ask myself, does this decision play into the redemptive narrative of God's plan through Jesus Christ, or am I making a decision based on my kingdom and not his kingdom? So if we're going to make decisions based on gathering together in prayer and gathering together in God's word, then it's going to align with God's word. So verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Just like Jesus, the night before he selected his disciples, he prayed. He prayed for them. He went out and selected them. So now what, what do these apostles do? They decide, let's spend some time in prayer. Because we have to make a decision to replace 
Judas. What prayer does is prayer uncovers the concealed will of God. There's two types of will of God. There's a revealed will, which we find in his word, and there's a concealed will. Prayer uncovers the concealed will of God. The revealed will, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. The word is the revealed will of God. So, when we read things in 1 Thessalonians like, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You abstain from sexual immorality. As we read scripture, we can find the revealed will of God for each and every one of us. But we want to find the concealed will. We have to spend time in prayer. However, the vast majority of the will of God is revealed in his word. It's black and white. And it leads and guides our path towards Christ's sanctification and righteousness. And the primary place to find that will is in Scripture. We don't have to wonder whether or not we're to be his witnesses. We don't have to wonder whether or not we're to live holy lives. We don't have to wonder whether or not we should love our enemies. Because it's revealed to us in his word. What's interesting is that many Christians want to know the concealed will of God in their life when making tough decisions without ever wanting to submit fully to the revealed will of God that has been given to them. A lot of people want to understand, well, I, want, I just want to know what God's will for my life is. I just really want to make this decision while living contrary to the revealed will of God. How can you ask for God to reveal his will to you that's concealed when you're not willing to follow what has been revealed? Pursuing obedience to the word of God is always the will of God. The concealed will, however, is the wisdom of God. The revealed will is the word of God. The concealed, wisdom, uh, the concealed will is the wisdom of God. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you want to know what the concealed will is, seek the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God. I have a question. Do your decisions reveal that you are first seeking the kingdom of God or are you trying to justify building your own kingdom? Do your decisions reveal that you are pursuing the revealed will of God while you look for the concealed will of God? God conceals his will, but it's always congruent with his revealed will. God's concealed will is always congruent with his revealed will. So we can't justify our sinful actions and decisions and selfish pleasures as God's will when it goes directly against his written will. Second thing is this. The church is gathered in discerning the word of God. Discerning the word of God. Verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was all about 120. And said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a God to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his witness, witness, wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. 
And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akladama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. Now, Luke gives, Luke's a doctor, right? So Luke gives some more details to how uh, the death of Judas took place. Now, we know that Judas hung himself, but apparently, according to how Luke records it here, he hung himself, and when he hung himself, it must have uh, not worked out. He must not have hung there very long and fell and landed on some rocks and then busted open. And he pretty much makes it really graphic, don't you think? And so it happens on a land that was purchased with blood money. And so whether it was uh, purchased by Judas, which we don't think it was because he threw the money back, you know, at the, at the, the religious leaders, it was purchased. That money was used to purchase some land that would be a place for graves. And this is where he just, he decides to end his life. But here they are in the upper room. They spent time praying. And obviously they're spending time in God's word because all of a sudden Peter comes up and says to the 120 that are, that are there, hey, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. The scriptures had to be fulfilled that were, they were inspired and written by the Holy Spirit through David. So he's talking about how important it is to be in God's word. The church today is together for prayer and for discerning the word of God. The word of God, as Paul says to Timothy in 3, 14 through 17, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. You want to know the will of God, the concealed will of God? You got to read the, re the revealed will of God because all scripture is inspired by God. It's God breathed. And he writes to us and he tells us how to live a life of wisdom and sanctification. Hebrews 4, 12 says, For the word of God is, li is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. As we read the Word of God, it was inspired by the Spirit, but it's also alive and active, and it works in us a piercing conviction of which way and which path we are to take. It's God's Word. Scripture alone is the supreme authority of the church. Let me explain it to you this way. Why do you turn to the revealed will of God? Because that's the word of God that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. All other authorities are underneath that revealed will. So here's my little soapbox. If you go to a Christian counselor, and I put that in quotations, and the Christian counselor gives you some wisdom that goes against the authority of Scripture, then it's not the will of God because all authority comes underneath the will of God because his revealed will is what leads and guides us towards the concealed will. Does that make sense to you? But there's a lot of people who give Christian advice or, you know, they're spiritual advisors. Don't get me started. So they, they'll do these things and they'll tell you, oh, this is what you need to do. And they'll play off your emotions and they'll lead you down a path that sounds real good. But if it goes against the word of God, then it's not the will of God. I don't care how good it sounds. And this is where the church was. What path do we take? What decisions do we make? Let's get into God's revealed will so we can find his concealed will. 
So Peter and the 120 believers took the word of God and began to discern what the will of God was. Martin Luther said this, Scripture alone is the true Lord and master of all writings and doctrines on the earth. If that is not granted, what is Scripture good for? The more we reject it, the more we become satisfied with men's books and human teachings. You see, the Word of God has taken a back seat in a lot of people's minds who claim to be Christian. Some have even unhinged themselves from the Old Testament. This is the revealed will of God that reveals the concealed will of God. And if this isn't the absolute authority in our life, then we'll look to human teachings and people's opinions. And those decisions that we make based on what other people say will lead us down the wrong path. And maybe we'll walk in circles, not for an hour, but for maybe weeks, months, years of our Christian life. When decisions are to be made in our life, does the, suffici the sufficiency of Scripture direct our path? Or do we allow lesser things to speak into our lives? You see, Christianity, without the continued submission to the authority of the Word, is lost, and it will not last. And the best example of that is Judas. Judas is a prime example. Here we go, picking up in verse 16. Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akedama, that is, field of blood. Judas was what you would call a false convert. He heard the word of God. He followed the person of God, and at some point he decided to go his own way. This is not new. This is what Jesus talked about in the parables when he told them the parable of the sower. He throws some seed on the rocky ground. You throw some seed on the thorny ground, but it's only the ground that is fruitful, that will multiply, that is, that is ready to receive God's word. The message is clear that the seed will be sown, the word of God will be given, but not everyone will receive it. Judas heard the word of God, but he didn't really receive it. He was a false convert. And the reason you can tell is because he eventually turned aside and went his own way. The same is true today in the church. There's a lot of people who have heard the word of God. And at some point, maybe three years in, like Judas, they just kind of turned aside and went their own way. The statistics are clear. George Barna says it this way, although most Americans consider themselves to be Christian and say they know the content of the Bible, less than one out of 10 Americans demonstrate such knowledge through their actions. You get that? Youth specialist Josh McDowell and Ron Luce said, Incredible as it may seem, accepting Christ and making a profession of faith makes little to no difference in, young, in a young person's lives, attitude, and behaviors. The majority of our church young people are adopting a Christianity, but it's not true Christianity. The U.S. Southern Baptist Council on Family and Life discovered that 88% 
of children raised in evangelical homes leave church at the age of 18, never to return. And as someone who spent years in youth ministry and someone who has spent years in this church, I can look at the crowd and I can tell you the statistics are true. And it grieves me. Tom Rainier, CEO of Lifeway Research, said, if our research approximates eternal realities, nearly one half of all church members may not be Christians. There's such a thing as a false convert. Paul says it this way in Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. See, like Judas, false converts who have said yes to following Jesus at some point in their life or have asked Jesus into their heart remain unconverted because they have never truly repented. And their behavior reveals an unregenerate heart. You see, if salvation is what God does, and as he's talking, he says, look, if you want to be saved, you've got to be born again. And Well, how can you be born again? It's born of spirit. If, the, if salvation is God's work in our heart, then there is a regeneration of the heart that reveals itself in the actions and the repentance of a life that is devoted to him. And just because we don't want to go to the bad place when we die, and we say a prayer, if there's never any re regeneration of the heart, any change, then after time, like Judas, you see people turn their own way. A.W. Tozer said it this way, it is my opinion that tens of thousands of people, if not millions, have been brought into some kind of religious experience by accepting Christ, and they have never been saved. Verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. Peter found the will of God by praying, by reading the revealed word of God, and by listening to the spirit of God to understand the concealed wisdom of God in his word. Church, if you want to make decisions this year based on the will of God, then you have to spend time in prayer. You have to spend time in God's word and you have to lean in on the spirit so that he will reveal to you the secret things of God, the concealed will of God. Third thing, last thing, the church is gathered to make decisions for the kingdom of God. So if we have a devotion to the will of God and we have a discernment of the word of God, then we'll make decisions for the kingdom of God. And that is exactly where the church is, verse 21. So one of the men, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and, they, and the lot fell on Matthias, 
and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. They spent time in prayer. They leaned in on the Spirit, and they asked God, who knows the hearts of all men, to lead and guide them towards decisions for the kingdom of God. There's a difference between an apostle and a disciple. An apostle must meet certain biblical criteria, and you see it here in Scripture. It says, so one of the men had to be there and accompanied them from the time of the baptism with John to the ascension of Jesus going into heaven. He had to have seen everything. He needed to be an eyewitness so that he could be an apostle. The word apostle in the Greek is apostolos, which means sent forth by another, often with a special commission to represent another and to accomplish his work. So they're trying to find the one that can accomplish the mission of God and the ministry of Jesus and to carry it on. Now, a disciple doesn't have to meet these criteria. A disciple in the Greek simply means a learner. It means to genuinely understand and accept the teaching, to accept it as true and apply it to one's life. So there's a difference there between an apostle and a disciple. Disciples, we learn, the emphasis is on how they learn because they're learners. It's the Greek word, which doesn't mean for formal schooling, but rather from fellowship with the teacher. They are to follow in the teacher's footsteps. They are to learn not by sitting in rows or in classrooms, but they are to learn by following Christ. So it involves two principles. First, it means that a disciple had to have fellowship with the teacher. They had to live with Jesus. Disciples lived with him. Secondly, the disciples carried on the tradition of their teacher after they after he died, they would begin to teach the very same thing. So a disciple is someone who has fellowship with the teacher and teaches the same things as, as the teacher. And so as they're replacing Judas, they're replacing an apostle because of what I said earlier about having to have the 12. But there's an interesting thing here that says this about Judas. It says, to take the place of the ministry of the apostleship, which from Judas turned aside. Judas just simply turned aside to his own place. You see, just as there's a difference between an apostle and a disciple, there's a difference between a convert and a disciple. There's a difference. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. And not only do they follow Jesus in fellowship, but they carry on the ministry of Jesus and the things they teach and do. Many disciples unfortunately, have turned aside to go to their own way. Let me end by asking these questions. Do you have a fellowship with Christ today? Or do you have a memory of a prayer you prayed and a decision you made? Do you carry on what you have learned from Christ by both word and deed? Do you carry on the ministry and the mission of Jesus Christ have you come to a point where you have really surrendered your life to him? Have you done an informational agreement? Or has there been a transformational agreement that has taken place in your heart? The work of the Spirit. You see, today, I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt that you're his. That you live a life trying to discern the will of God 
the revealed will and the concealed will. If not, I plead with you today to surrender. Surrender your life to Him. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Go to our website, meadowviewbaptist.com or subscribe to hear more sermons like this or to get more information about how to be involved at Meadowview Baptist.